lenses can sometimes feel a bit puzzling. Maybe it's that confusing car insurance policy or working out the right protection for your health, home and family. Or feeling unsure if your pension is on the right path. Aviva can help make these conundrums click. Helping solve your financial puzzles? It takes Aviva. Is what you're doing still doing it for you? I am EY. For a purpose that inspires me. And a culture that accepts. For a team that relies on me and makes me better for it. Knowing I'm always respected for being absolutely me. For my work to have meaning. Ideas becoming actions and my direction my own. For leaders that challenge, guide and support. Empowering me to be all I can and bring everything I am. My skills accelerated. My voice amplified. For always feeling heard and saying without hesitation. I love what I do. That's why. EY. Mom, I got the job! She got the job! Who got the job? She got the job. She got the job. Find your I got the job job on Total Jobs. Hello, my name is Sarah Schofield. I am the Global Chief Executive of Grayling and the Chief Executive of Accordions. We employ 650 people all around the world. Uh, we are in 27 markets globally. Uh, we make an impact on young people by offering them jobs. Um, I work in communications and it's really a young person's industry, average age of about 27. This is my duvet flip, where you will learn about my career journey, my industry, and my passions throughout my conversation with young Jack. Thank you for having me over, Jack. How are we today? I'm good. I'm excited to be here. Thank 27 you. 27 locations. That is global. It is global. It is. Well, you've got global in your name. It is. Exactly right. Yeah. And thank you for joining me today. I know you're really busy. So thank you for coming to give your wisdom, your energy and some golden nuggets today. To We know, hope. We hope. We hope. We hope. <laughs> so I want to start here because I think it's a great place to start. So no pressure. We're not going to count the 60 seconds, but this is a 1% that we put in place recently. Your career journey in 60 seconds. Okay. Uh, I left university um, and I was told by somebody at university, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I'd sort of thought I wanted to be a journalist, then didn't like the idea of deadlines. And somebody said, you talk a lot, you should go into PR. Uh, and I was like, what's PR? And nobody really knew the answer. So I started looking for jobs. My very first job was a financial PR agency and I was the receptionist. Um, and the reason I took that job is because it paid the most and I wanted to live in London. So I started on reception, I was hopeless. I cut people off the whole time. Uh, I played a lot of solitaire, but I listened um, and I started to understand a little bit about the trade. For me, the financial PR industry wasn't exactly where I wanted to be. So I only stayed there for about six months. And I went in uh, in-house. It's the only in-house non-agency role I've ever had. And I worked for uh, a cable TV channel and really just sort of learnt my trade and then moved around from agency to agency to agency. I've worked both in the UK. I've also worked internationally. Um, and now I'm a chief executive. So I think it sort of slightly proves the point that it doesn't matter where you start. As long as you listen, you pay attention, you work hard, then, you know, you can achieve whatever you want. Is that less than a minute? That Ooh. was great. That was absolutely <laughs> But it's opened so many questions for me. Now, oh, good, good. Which is good. So what, before we talk, I want to talk a little bit about the first job, the six months. But before yes. we do that, I want to just talk a little bit about some terms you use. Yep. In-house yep. agency. Okay. What are the difference? 
And what are the benefits of both? Fine. I know you've only been in-house once, but yes. what are the benefits of both? So in-house is when you work for an existing business. Let's take a bank for the sake of argument. Let's take Barclays Bank. If you work for their communications division, you work in-house. So you're a function within that organization. If you work for an agency, which is where I've spent the bulk of my career, it means that the agency itself is a business, it's a standalone business, and we attract different clients to do different types of communication for them. So the benefits of being in-house is that you have one client only. It is Barclays, for the sake of argument. So you do all of their communications. It might be their internal communications. It might be their external. It might be engaging with government. Uh, it might be doing social and digital work, etc., etc. If you work for an agency, the advantages are that you get to do lots and lots of very different things. So you might be working with a food client, or you might be working with an infrastructure client, or you might be working with an energy client. So it really depends on what you like. Um, and there are obviously positives and negatives to both. And I think if you like plate spinning, because agency life is busy, um, then it's very, very much for you. If you like that idea of being really deep in an organisation, really understanding an organisation well, then in-house is probably better. And what is the, you, you talked about there's some the good and bad for both. Yes. What, what are some of the bads for both? So I think the, the bad for in-house is sometimes because you're part of an internal function, you can get stopped in your tracks by just internal sort of like challenges or barriers or politicking. And I think to get something actually over the line, to actually execute something, oh my God, anyone who works in house will be furious I'm saying this, by the way, because I've only done it Are you it saying it with a good heart? I am. I, you know, because again, it, it depends what you like. If you're happy to navigate those challenges internally, then I think it's great. But I think if you, if you want versatility then you probably work in an agency because you're, you're, as I said, you're plate spinning, you're juggling lots and lots of different things. But the, the, the hard part with that is you have to turn your hand to a lot of different things and you have to be a new business winner. So you have to go out to attract business into the agency. So you're doing communications campaigns, you're coming up with ideas, you're liaising with your clients, you're doing the finance around it, you're winning new business. So that, for some people, is just too much. Sounds like an entrepreneur. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you'll know all about that. But, you know, so it is, it is a certain sort of person. So there are positives and negatives to both. There is a perception, and I use that word advisedly, that in-house is easier, that you have, don't work as hard as you get paid more. I'm not sure that's true. I think they're both challenging jobs. Um, I think they're both really rewarding jobs. And I suspect... If you work really hard, you'll make money wherever you work. So, you know, I don't think it's quite as cut and dried as people think it is. I agree. And in terms of a young person who wants to get into the comms yep. world and they're like, oh, agency, yeah. in-house. Yep. I know there's no set pathway to anyone's career and things sure. come left, right and centre. Yeah. What is your advice to someone with no experience? Yeah. They might have just gone to uni to their comms or they might have not gone uni at no. all. Or, they, or they've done a totally different degree. Or they've done a to totally different yeah. degree. What is your advice to them? I would, I think agency is probably easier. I think um, we tend to have within agencies lots of sort of programmes to invite people in for internships. There are lots of different sort of recruitment businesses and organisations that can allow access, um, particularly for, for, for young people from disadvantaged backgrounds as well, or uh, racially diverse backgrounds, which I think is really important because I would say that we're not probably racially diverse as we should be as an industry yet, even though we're better than we used to be. I think if you want to go in-house into a company, it tends to be what I would call a more traditional route. It would probably be looking for adverts. You would, I mean, there, is, there are trade publications, so there are things like PR Week and Provoke, where they would advertise for jobs at all levels. So if you're interested, then it would be worth subscribing or finding someone who has a subscription to one of those publications, and you'll see lots of different uh, jobs advertised there. But it's probably more traditional, whereas I think agencies are probably faster paced there's you know there's more people coming in and out just of the nature of the business and so as a consequence I think it's probably easier to get things like internships but I'm no expert on in-house so I don't want to, I don't want to do them a disservice <laughs> by implying that they don't make that easy for people because I'm sure they do we'll get someone from in-house on so yeah go and go and out, yeah exactly yeah exactly so talking about your first job yes reception yeah receptionist six months yes what did that job teach you that you wish you knew before you started it, that you was kind of blasé to, and you then you went into it, and you're like, ah, oh, 
Do you know what? I was, it's interesting you asked that. I was actually quite badly bullied in that job. And so it, it wasn't a very, it was a lesson, but it possibly wasn't a very positive lesson, even though you learn from any experience that you have in your career. But I walked into a fairly established, uh, quite sort of stiff environment. I was totally inexperienced. I mean, I'd done holiday jobs, but not in communications. I hadn't done a degree in communications. I'd worked in kitchens and I'd waitress, you know, like we all do in, in, in school holidays and stuff. Um, and I was covering for somebody who was on, I think, maternity leave for a year or something. And obviously this person was adored. And so I was always going to fall slightly short. She was in the shadow. Which is fine, but I didn't really know that until I'd arrived. And, you know, obviously they wanted me to be like this person. And you can't be like somebody else. You know, you are yourself. And Everyone I was hugely inexperienced. I was very nervous. Um... But I wanted to get into PR because I thought it sounded interesting, the very tiny bit I knew about it. Um, and the people who ran the business were just not very pleasant. Um, and so I left, actually, after six months because I just thought, I'm not going to be treated like this. But also, I wasn't learning anything um, because I just didn't really like the environment. So I'm not sure your question really... <laughs> I'm not no, sure I... that was what you are expecting me to say. But that's, that was my first experience. So... I did learn about the industry and I knew that I wanted to learn more about the industry, but the sort of emotional learning curve was not a positive one. I want to talk a little bit about, I know we, yeah. we're, we're going to go down this road. That's fine. Okay? Let's go. Let's go. The bullying yeah. road. Yeah. What do you do when you're a victim of bullying? It's, it's quite difficult. Oh, really difficult. To come forward. Hmm and say it when potentially the person you're getting bullied by might be your boss, yes. maybe liked in the organisation. It's really difficult. What and did I, you do and, and what's your advice to well, you? Well, I, I probably didn't do the right thing then because I was too young and too scared. I just left. That was the easy... I mean, you know, that's a terrible thing to admit, but it was the easiest thing to do was just to leave. Um, what I would recommend... And, you know, you come across bullying in, in, in your career. I think a lot less now. I think there was... A, you know, I'm considerably older than you. Um, and I think it was probably more widely, not accepted, because that would be an awful thing to say, but I think it was probably more apparent, say, 20 years ago, that the culture always starts at the top of a business. And effectively, if you, know, if you come into an organisation where you're basically sort of put down, slightly you know, degraded at times, not treated with respect, then that becomes, when you move up the, the chain, that's the way you then manage people. And it becomes a sort of endemic culture within a business, which is horrific, to be honest. So, so what I would suggest people do, first of all, no one should tolerate bullying. Ultimately, no one should tolerate it. But I absolutely understand the fear factor. You need a salary, you know, I'm only new. Everybody else thinks this person's brilliant. You have to escalate it. You have to. Now, I think the way organisations are structured now is there are many, many more options to do that in a safe environment. So you can go to HR or you can whistleblow anonymously or whatever it might be, but you have to speak up. And if you're nervous about what the impact will be, then you have to go and speak to somebody sort of indirect, whether it's HR or whatever, because people need to be called out. You know, it is not an acceptable way to behave. It's also counterproductive to good business. I mean, you know, that's a secondary thing, but... Um, fundamentally, a, a productive workforce comes from people who are collaborative, collegiate, feel appreciated and valued and really love what they do, as you well know, you know, and there is no room for it. And I think it was much more sort of, so I started my career in probably the sort of early mid 90s. And, you know, there was a real culture of bullying in different industries. Um, and it was just the way people were. And therefore, it was slightly accepted. And I don't think it is accepted anymore, and that's good. I think that's massive progress, actually. Did it, did it ever put you off wanting to work? Oh, God, yeah, I was miserable. I mean, Sunday nights and floods of tears, you know, don't want to go in, don't want to go in. feel sick, you know. And the, 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 the difficulty when you're being bullied is you start to doubt your own ability. And I've had it twice in my life, so that first job and another job. Um, and you lose your confidence. And when you start to lose your confidence, you're in this terrible sort of spiral then of saying well I'm not good enough so they must be right and then and then obviously as a consequence you aren't good enough because you're second guessing and you've lost your instincts you know and so it's it's a really really unhelpful spiral to get into um, and the only way to get out of it is to is to get out of that environment or report it or whatever it may be because actually fundamentally the problem isn't you 
even what, though you think it is. It's yeah. the other person. Absolutely. And what what is the respected outcome someone should... Because say someone's being bullied, yes. they've gone into a job and yeah. they've been bullied, yeah. and they, they go through the right channels, HR, go through the whistleblowing yeah. channel, whatever, whatever mm. that is... What should what is the outcome they should be expecting? Well, that person should be, you know, dealt with. Now, the the severity of, of how they're dealt with will be depending on the severity of what they've done and, and how much has been reported. But there has to be, you know, whether it's a warning, whether it's dismissal, you know, it, it is unacceptable behaviour. And I genuinely, by the way, I mean it when I say I don't think it's a problem nearly as much as you speak. I mean, I can't speak for all industries because I'm not in them, but... I think people have really learned and checked their behaviour. Um, so, you know, we're talking about 20 plus years ago. But um, And if you don't, you end up like Dominic Rubb. Yeah. He's been, he's been on, we've talked about it. No, but I think, you know, and I, look, there's a fine line, isn't there? And I think some people have quite direct management styles and some people don't like that. And then I think young people sometimes get accused of not being resilient enough. Yeah. And, you know, so there's a really fine balance in this. But... Ultimately, I mean, this is such an obvious thing to say, and I'm sure everyone says it, but you've got to treat people the way you want to be treated yourself, fundamentally. We all have moments of stress. We all have moments of pressure. We all have moments when, you know, we feel sort of tired or worried or concerned, and we might be a bit snappy, or, but it's not bullying. That's just response stimulus, if you like. And I think, you know, you've just got to respect that everybody's making a contribution in all parts of a business, you know, not just the people who bring the money in, but the people who are on reception or the security guard downstairs who's working through the night. You know, we're all there doing a job. Um, and so just treat people with a bit of respect and a bit of kindness. I mean, it's not hard. Well, maybe I'm making it sound more straightforward than it is. But I do think, you know, it's very easy. It shouldn't be hard, should it? Well, it shouldn't kindness be. No, no. But and I do think, I do really want to emphasise the point, I really think things are so much better than they were when I started my career, as they should be. You know, I think that's a really positive progression. I think that's really good to understand that People do get busy. It is stress. Yeah. That's why I always sign my emails off with uh, sending with grace and yeah. kindness or kindness. Yeah. Like I try and I try and show happiness in my emails yes. when I send them because I think it's so important. You don't yeah. know what someone's going through. No, exactly. Confidence. Yes, huge, huge thing. All time low across a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, that's young people. Yeah. That's uh, Everybody. Mums returning to the workplace. Exactly. How do you go from? all-time low yeah. confidence, whatever that situation is. Yeah. How do you build your, your confidence and how do you build your confidence? So I think as a, as, as a British person, I think we are all sort of taught at an early age and perhaps my generation more than yours, that if you reward yourself or tell yourself you've done something good, then you're conceited or you're arrogant. Um, and so as a consequence, you slightly go the other way and spend your life sort of saying, well, I'm not very good and slightly fishing for compliments at the same time, hoping that somebody else is going to tell you that you are good. Um, and so you, you constantly look around for other people to approve and tell you they approve as a way of feeding your own confidence. And, you know, and I've learned this the hard way because actually I think what I started to do was privately and, and, and internally saying to myself, that was a good thing, that you did okay, you know. And it wasn't me sort of going... Can you tell me I've done well? Or <clears throat> me wandering around strutting, going, look at me, I'm great. But it was very much a sort of acknowledgement to myself that, okay, you're, you're not bad at this. You know, you're not great at that, but you're okay at this. Um, and it's gradual. And then, you know, you find yourself in a position where other people recognise that you aren't good at certain things or that you have a certain skill that's valuable to their business or whatever it may be. And, you know, a good manager spots good talent. And it's not always obvious what the good talent is. There isn't a sort of, you know, stereotype or a, a sort of carbon copy of this is what it is. And they will nurture that confidence. That's what good management does. Um, and they will pull people up. So when they have their moment, and we all have moments, you know, and I'm sure most of the people who've sat in the seat who've got incredibly high-powered jobs mm. have sat and said they've had huge moments of doubt, self-doubt and loss of confidence. But you do have to find a little bit of sort of internal, I suppose, reward and appreciation slightly. And I think as a British person, I think we find that hard because I think we're nervous that people are going to think we're arrogant or conceited or so true, pleased with ourselves or, you know, whatever it may be. But actually, it's not that, you know, it's just about recognition.
self-recognition. Absolutely, I like that. Just in a yeah, yeah. Someone came, a guest came on, a guy called Greg Jackson, uh, um, Octopus Energy, and he said happiness is homemade. Yeah. And homemade here and, yeah. and having your environment exactly. and start there. You, you talked about, you, you used the word, uh, you're probably thinking, I don't have papers, I have picture memory. That's one, I'm, I'm not good at writing, but with my memory. You use the words, you don't like deadlines. No. And everyone seems to look at the deadline. I'm a big believer, let's not focus on the deadline, let's focus on the start line. Yeah. As soon as you start it, then yeah. you're closer. Why do you think that we put deadlines on everything? And when have you put a deadline on something so, and realised that actually... <laughs> I'm going to have to tell you undo what I said. So the reason I didn't want to be a journalist is because I didn't like writing to time. I wasn't, okay. you know, I was a bit sort of like someone saying, you need to have written something about X by this point. I was a bit like, oh, uh, you know, I just thought that's not going to suit me. I do use deadlines now um, because I have to manage a business and I have to manage outcomes uh, from that. Now, that's not to say that deadlines are not critical or, or, or we could get rid of them. I, don't, I think it's somewhere in the middle. I think, I think everybody has to impose their own timeframes on things, but some people are just not very good at that. And that's not a criticism either. You know, some people have challenges about sort of imposing deadlines on themselves. Um, and so I think it, a deadline is, it's got to be the sort of cutoff point, but you've also got to be, I think, thoughtful about how long that is and the sorts of people you're working with to get you there. Some people work really quickly. I work really quickly. It's just the way I do things. I don't leave things. I'm not a procrastinator. As soon as I get given a task, I do it because I don't like having backlog. Whereas, you know, I have people in my family who will, you know, leave it and leave it and leave it until like the night before. And then it's a sort of all night through job, which, you know, for me is a total anathema. But for them, the way that I work is how, you know, we're just different people. We're just, we're just... What about personal deadlines? Like, I have to get the promotion by this date and I have to get married by this date. No, don't believe in them. Don't believe in personal deadlines. Everybody's different. Everyone gets to where they're meant to be if they want to be in a certain place through hard work and determination and resilience. Not not because they've put some sort of self-imposed timeline on something. You know, life isn't a straight line, sadly. I mean, if we all did that, then... It would be much more straightforward, but there's always bumps in the road. There's and always yeah, and boring. I mean, you know, I was going to get really good A level results. I got very average A level results. So then it's like, right, this is the first big hump. What do I do? You know, I can't go to university to do the thing I was going to do. Do I not go to university? Do I go for a different course? You know, so I, I'm a great believer in those challenges. Shouldn't really sort of knock you off your path. They just take you down a different one. And I, whenever I've needed to sort of look for a new job or, or change a career or move countries, I've sort of almost gone to work looking for a job, if you know what I mean. Um, and I, you know, I use all my contacts and I email people who haven't heard from me in years, you know, and, you know, just really sort of almost use it as a sort of job. To find a job. We're going to take a break. Okay. Because it's been 20 minutes already. Yeah, and we've only just <laughs> talked about the first job. It's been amazing. And we're going to take a break. And after the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about comms Perfect. and what makes someone good at it. A okay. little bit about the day you become CEO as well. Okay. And some of your life lessons. So we'll be back in a moment. There, We'll be back in six minutes. And we've got some uh, nice, uh, another nice video to show you. And we'll be back soon. If Sarah doesn't leave. I'm not leaving. Good. <laughs> There's nothing clever about selling yourself short. Oh my God. I can't tell you how many people, when you dig into their success stories, look how many failures they had mm -hmm. first. And what marks them out is their character. And you can control your character. You know, how you respond to loss, how you respond to adversity. And what was the last thing you lost? My job, um, uh, I suppose. You've got to be honest with yourself, what went wrong. You've got to then have a realistic plan to put it right. And, you know, bags of determination and self-belief. And the fear of failure, I think you've got to get over that. How do you not let that get to you? I wouldn't say love the adversity, but respect that the adversity will make you better. I've been privileged to see you at various different junctures, and it was very inspiring then, but look how far you've come. It's amazing. 
And if you just relentlessly focused on moving forward, learning the lessons of life, I think it's a recipe for success. And don't let others dictate to you your view of the world, let alone yourself. I said I wanted to be true to my convictions. I wanted to find the right life partner and give my kids the best opportunities I could. Deutsche Bank is the largest bank in the UK that you have never heard of. You know, the environment's very challenging, I think, for young people. Therefore, seek out every opportunity. Don't underestimate how long it's going to take to get up in the morning. <laughs> and I always say, if you're not five minutes early, you're late. I think when anyone is starting a Saturday job and you're a teenager, the biggest thing is getting out of bed. That commitment piece is really important. We know that there are young people for whom actually going to university, spending three, four years, isn't something that they want to do. They want to get out into the world of work immediately. We've got an operations talent program, lots of different types of ways in which you can actually come into the organisation and understand what's available. So go into a meeting looking for that curious conversation. Absolutely. Room. So I think it's always striking a balance between not sort of interjecting at the wrong times or too frequently, whilst at the same time, if you genuinely have something to say that can add to the conversation and to the discussion, you should absolutely say it. So even though I've been at the bank for 25 years, I feel like I've had five different careers. It's a cliche, but really fake it till you make it. We're looking to grow our businesses. That really is the best advice. Finances can sometimes feel a bit puzzling. Maybe it's that confusing car insurance policy or working out the right protection for your health, home and family. Or feeling unsure if your pension is on the right path. Aviva can help make these conundrums click. Helping solve your financial puzzles it takes Aviva. Is what you're doing still doing it for you? I am EY. For a purpose that inspires me. And a culture that accepts. For a team that relies on me and makes me better for it. Knowing I'm always respected for being absolutely me. For my work to have meaning, ideas becoming actions and my direction my own. For leaders that challenge, guide and support, empowering me to be all I can and bring everything I am. My skills accelerated, my voice amplified. For always feeling heard and saying without hesitation, I love what I do. That's why. EY. Mom, I got the job! She got the job! Who got the job? Granny! She got the job! She got the job! She got the job! Find your I got the job job on Total Jobs. I'm so excited, I can't tell you, you know, I just want to scream and shout. <laughs> Have you ever had an experience where you've gone into a job and thought, oh, what have I done? I felt sick to the pit of my stomach that I've made a bad mistake. I mean, I was ashamed to get a final written warning. And it is the ability to be able to take those, um, those situations and genuinely learn from them without letting them destroy you. Today's news is tomorrow's chip paper. So if it doesn't feel right, if it doesn't look right, it probably isn't right. You know, an awful lot is common sense. And one of the surprising things about common sense is it's not very common. Make your choice, make the choice conscious, and then when you are wherever you are, be present when you're present. Am I learning? Can I have influence? And am I gonna enjoy this? In any situation, there are things you control and there are things you can't control. You've got more control than you realise, but equally, don't fret about the things you can't control, because that is the definition of madness.
There's a real lesson there, isn't it? It's find the miracle in every situation. Yeah, yeah. Failure is not fatal. Your ability to bounce back and be resilient for me is the thing that has made me who I am. And we're live for part two, and I've got a to top up. And I've, uh, I've, got a tea. I've convinced you to have one of these uh, Fitman C uh, yes, green teas. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, it is. if you don't like it, you can kick me. Well, I'm going <laughs> to drink all of it. Before we um, go on to talking a little bit about the day you become CEO and what you yep. feel makes a good comms person, I just want to touch on something uh, before yes. when you said you, you left your job. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. Did you just leave your job and then carried on your life as it was? Did you have to move? What did you have to do? So um, it was a long time ago, but from recollection, I started looking for another job immediately, um, if not while I was still in my job, even when I think I was thinking of resigning. I moved back home because obviously I couldn't pay my rent in London um, and I took temporary jobs until I found a permanent job that I really wanted. And in fact, I, from recollection, um, I ended up working for a TV channel, actually. And I took that as a temporary job. Uh, so that was one of my temporary jobs to sort of keep things ticking over, to keep myself working, to keep earning money. Uh, and then that became a permanent role. So that's what I did. So in everything you do, yeah. there is obviously leaving is the right thing to do because yes. it was a place of bullying and not nice culture. Yeah. But everything has a... Good outcome yeah. or a consequence. Consequence and yeah. a good outcome. I it? think so. And I think you've got to, you know, one of the things that I talk a lot about where I work now is about bravery. Um, and I think it's, you know, to do the right thing is the hardest thing quite often. Uh, and the right thing may not be the right thing for the business, but it might be the right thing for you as an individual. And, you know, I think sometimes you've got to take a calculated risk. And I was fortunate because, you know, I, as I said before, when I started looking for jobs, I always used that. It was almost a, a working mentality to find another job. So I would go and see six recruiters in a day. You know, I would get get in, get on the tube and just keep going and keep meeting people and all the rest of it. So, um, you know, but that's very much who I am as an individual. Um, but, uh, but equally, you know, some people find that harder and that's okay. But you've just got to trust yourself that you're doing the right thing. And then, you know, find, if you can, deep inside you the resilience to go on to the next thing and be even better. And what, does, what do you mean by calculated risk? So, I, you know, I think it's really easy to just accept status quo. I think it's really easy uh, in a lot of workplaces for people to moan uh, about a lot of stuff um, and never do anything about it. And, you know, we are all, it's incumbent on all of us to make our professional and personal lives better you know it's we all have something to say we all have something to add we all have something to offer and I think from you know from a personal perspective if something doesn't feel right for you professionally then you've got to weigh up obviously can I pay my rent or you know what does this mean am I feeding my family or whatever it is so you know you've got to you've got to be very balanced about that I would not do anything rash I would do it in a in a calculated, carefully planned way, but don't not do it, is what I'm saying. Um, you know, and then from a business perspective, a calculated risk is about backing your instincts. I mean, as an entrepreneur, this will be bread and butter to you. But, um, you know... Without the, without the butter at the moment, because <laughs> yeah, I'm on the, the bread. All the bread. All the bread. <laughs> um, but I think it's much more about, um, you know, if, if we all just sat back and went, well, this is the way it is, Nobody, nothing would ever change. We'd never progress with anything. So you have to have the ability to back yourself and back your instincts and take some risks. And you will make mistakes. Not you. One make, will make. I've made tons and tons of mistakes. But the, the, I think the absolute key to, to making mistakes and taking risks is recognising quickly if they're not working. And either step changing or course correcting or saying, that was the wrong thing to do. I'm going to change it and we're moving on. It's when people take risks it goes wrong and then they just sort of watch the sort of slow sort of you know car driving towards the edge of a cliff 
without actually sort of gripping it and dealing with it. Um, so I'm a great believer in trying things. And, and do you, do you, did you have to be calculated to get to the job you're at now? Listen, I've been enormously fortunate. Um, you know, I've moved jobs quite a lot. Uh, and that was a lot that was to do with personal circumstances. So, you know, my now husband wants to move to Singapore. And so he so, you know, so a lot of it, I was like, well, I'll just find a job. So I wasn't sitting with a sort of, you know, a four piece of paper going right in three years time. This is the plan at all. Uh, I always worked really hard, um, you know, and I was ambitious, not in a sort of grasping way, but just. You know, uh, once I'd got a bit more confidence, because I think, as we mentioned, I, I slightly probably you know, lacked a bit of confidence at some points in my career. But um, I always just wanted to be recognised for doing the best I could, basically. Um, and so, you know, I've been very fortunate. I've I've met some really important and helpful people, not important as in status, but important to me personally, uh, through my career, who have really looked after me, you know, and they took a chance on me when lots of people perhaps wouldn't have done. And they perhaps saw something in me that I didn't see myself or... The personal I, yeah. Yeah, you know, so they were, I was, you know, I've been recruited and, and mentored, and I know you do a lot of mentorship, by some people who really looked out for me and took a chance on me. So, so I think I've been really fortunate, actually. And tell us a little bit about the day you got the, you become the, you become a CEO, because there's not enough women as CEOs, as we know, are on boards, yeah, yeah. and more needs to be done. Yeah. What, what did it feel like, and what are you now doing to pave the way for those what they call those glass ceilings so I think that it's slightly different in communications because there are more women in communications than men but actually similarly not at the most senior level so a lot of women fall out of communications jobs when they have a family because it's quite time intensive and actually just on that point for the ladies who are listening and the men um, I took four years out when I had my children and it has not done me any harm so you know I don't think people are nervous about coming back and saying it's going to be detrimental to their career it, it really doesn't have to be at all um, so I think the day I found out I was CEO um, I was the managing director of Grayling which is the agency I I'm the global chief executive of now um, I was the managing director of the UK and Ireland at that point and I was on a global board with other regional leaders and they were all chief executives and so I said to my boss well, why can't I be a chief executive? Because I was just being a bit cheeky, if I'm honest. And he said, fair enough, you can be the chief executive. So <laughs> I was quite, it didn't take a lot of lobbying. Wow. Um, so I was very fortunate. I mean, listen, I was doing a chief executive's job. It, it, it made sense from a business perspective for them to have all of us at the same level. Um, and then you feel sort of utterly terrified because the title is huge. I mean, you know, when I go home though, I'm just Sarah, you know, when I see my mates for a drink, I'm just Sarah. So not everybody, because they have grand titles, necessarily is like that. Mm. You know, I, I take my job enormously seriously. I don't take myself terribly seriously. I take my responsibility as a chief executive hugely seriously. Um, but I don't think I'm defined as a chief executive. I'm just supported by some very clever people who make me look very good, which is brilliant. Um, and I, you know, I've probably been, as I said before, lucky that I've met people who have really backed me along the way. And so I've found myself in my career quite often being pushed into a role that I felt deeply unprepared for or massively out of my depth um, because somebody else who has been part of that process has seen something in me or they think I should be pushed or whatever it might be. And so I've been lucky in that regard. And then you spend sort of six months in sort of terror and then you realise, actually, I think I'm go I've got the hang of it now. And I've surrounded myself with really good people, as I said. And so Well, I, I really like that because you just, it feels like you just, whatever you get pushed into yeah. or you move towards, yeah. you just own it. Yes, I think, yeah. I mean, I think it's fear of failure actually. Which is another uh, British culture thing. British, it's like the hounds of hell yeah. are slightly snapping at my heels. I, someone's going to turn around and go, why is she here? And, um, and so it's about making sure that I don't, I don't get it wrong. You know, I mean, in my position, I am responsible for a lot of people. Um, and that matters to me. It really matters to me. You know, I owe it to them to make it a great working environment in a flourishing business, working on exciting stuff, you know. Does not it scare you, though, 650 plus, is it 650 plus people? Yeah. Like, 
steering the ship, really, kind of thing. (laughs) I know they all play their role. They absolutely do. But does that not make you anxious? And I don't think it's so much the, the the sort of quantity of people. It's just I would like to be more. I would like to be judged on the culture of the business. Because I'm a great believer if you create a productive, flourishing, empathetic, sort of value-led culture, then your business just works. So, you know, I think a lot of people look at how do we make money. I'm a great believer if you've got a really high, highly functioning business, the money comes. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I think culture is where you start. Um, and, you know, it matters to me what people think. It matters to them whether they're happy you know, and if I hear of a bad experience or something's put on glass door or whatever, you know, oh, it, famous, old famous glass door, glass door um, you know, it bothers you because it should bother you. You know, nobody should be complacent just because you had a good review three months ago. You can't take your foot off the gas. You've got to make sure it's constant improvement, I believe. So do I feel anxious? Um Probably, but not, not in a sort of like lying awake, sweating sort of way. I, you know, I do worry that I need to keep evolving the business because I need to keep attracting really good people and keeping the best people and making sure we're getting great clients and all the rest of it. But as I said, you know, I've got such a big cohort of brilliant people. It's probably not down to me single-handedly, even though ultimately I'm responsible. Well, if I were to come past Holborn and pop into the office, what would the young people say about you, do you think? What would you hope they said about you? Probably, I'd sort of (laughs) stride around the office. Um, what, what do you mean stride? What, one of those? <laughs> no, just sort of, no, no. Have you seen some of those CEOs? I've, I've had a few on here. They go on there. What is it? Segways. No, no, no. I march around the office talking to everybody. Is that to get your steps in? Yeah, get my steps in. And also, I just like people. Look, you know, I think we probably will talk about communications and industry, but I just like people. I'm curious. I'm a bit nosy. Um, you know, I want to know what people are working on. I want to know who they are. I think people, because what, unfortunately what goes with a title like mine, particularly now that I'm global, so I don't run the UK business even though I'm based here, so I probably have less interaction on a daily basis than I, I mean, I would have known everybody's names previously in the UK business, whereas now, particularly through COVID, when lots of people were recruited virtually, there's some people who I know, but I don't know as well. Mm-hmm. And they don't know me as well. And so, you know, they get in the lift. They're like, oh, well, they put next to me. Well, you, know, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and I think they just, I think they're surprised that I'm quite normal. I, th- I hope they think I'm quite normal. You are quite normal. And I like to be approachable. I mean, you know, my office door is in the middle of the, of the, of the floor. It's wide open, apart from if I'm in a meeting or a call. Um, you know, I had a lunch last week with our creative division because there's quite a few members of staff there. So I sat down with them for an hour and just chatted to them about who they are, what they do. We do new starters, breakfasts and lunch where we go in and they go around the table and tell us what, you know, what they used to do when they were in university or whether it's school or whatever their experience was. Um, and, you know, so I'm, I'm just interested in people. So I don't know how people would describe me. I think I, I, I laugh a lot, but I'm not sure that's a good thing. And let's talk a little bit about, you said you went into a creative session. Mm-hmm. What is a creative session? Yeah. And what happens in those creative sessions? Let's, le- let's leave clients out of it and names and stuff. But what, what kind of happens in those creative sessions? Because that sounds quite cool. It is. It is. So we have a fully functioning creative department. And, it, and I'll explain all of it very quickly. I won't go on. Don't worry. But there's um, creative strategy, which is also planning. But there's also production. And then there's social and digital. Um, so effectively, a client A would come to us and say, I don't know, I have. Uh, I need to sell more trainers for the sake of argument, um, and I want to use a PR campaign to do that because they'll do advertising, but advertising is paid for by them. PR is much more about communication with your ultimate audiences or stakeholder groups that you use editor- the editorial landscape to communicate with people for free, basically. Um, so if I was, you know, a trainer brand, I would probably own my advertising which means I talk about the cushioning and I talk about performance and all of that stuff whereas a PR campaign would be much more about do we use an athlete to talk about them do we do interviews do we do photo shoots Um, you know will we invite media to go to the factory and find out how they're made will we send trainers to journalists will we send trainers to influencers will we do a whole social campaign will we do tiktok influencer campaign so it's all that so a creative session would be trainer a brand new not new to market 
how are we going to all the things they want us to say about this trainer, which is the best cushioning, the best performance, the best price, the biggest colour spectrum, whatever they want to say, the client, we would then go into a creative brainstorm session with creative people, strategic people, to understand the audiences they want to reach. Because obviously, you know, the audience that you would represent would be different to the audience I represent. I'm a sort of, you know, middle-aged mother of two. You're a young entrepreneur. Do you know so, one of my biggest audiences is uh, the middle-aged mother? There you go. Well, I'm in good company. <laughs> I am one of you, yeah. people. Um, so, you know, but we would have different, we would probably consume media in a different way. So we, you know, I might read, you know, I don't know, uh, the newspaper as a, as a newspaper. You might read it online. Um, you might use social media. I might not, you know, da, 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 da. I'm, I'm typecasting us both terribly, by the way. But anyway, I'm giving broad, broad brushstrokes. And so we try and understand the landscape of who they want to reach and the audiences and the triggers of those audiences. And then the creative process is about understanding how we can put together a campaign, a creative campaign that brings it to life, which means either influencers will talk about them or journalists will write about them or politicians will speak about them or whatever it might be. And that's the creative process. I'm making it sound rather dull it's not it's no, it's, really, it's cool. really cool and if you know i think the most interesting thing about communications as an industry for young people and now i'm being really stereotypical um is the amount of sort of social and digital work that we do um so you know i think a lot of people think oh well who does all that social content and you know who does all that influencer outreach agencies like mine but we also do are you on tiktok no i'm not i went on it and I just, it was, it did my head in, if I'm honest. So you come off it? Yeah, came off it. But I like reels, because cool. they're a bit more middle-aged. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm hearing, I'm like, oh, that's cool, but I want to be an influencer. I want to be, I want to be having millions of followers. Mm. I want, I want one of your clients to send me shows. Yeah. So I can then promote about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is your advice for someone who is creative and they want to get in front of the TikTok camera and they want to be an influencer. Yeah. What is your do's and don'ts? Because yeah. I see so many young people, yeah. which I, I don't call them influencers, I call them creators, yes. uh, that come to me and they've been sold a wrong deal sometimes. Right. So they're working with a, a, a manager, yeah. uh, not an agency, but a manager. They don't really understand commercial. No. They'll sell all that. They'll they'll spend all their money before they've got it in. Yes, and then they won't get the right guidance and support. So yeah. then their health get bad. Yeah. What is your advice to the do's and don'ts? I think it's a really hard business to get into and be successful um, because I think so many people want to do it. Um, and why I do they want to do it though? Because I think people want fame. I think people want fifteen minutes of fame. You know, and I think. Because there are so many platforms now for creators um, that I think a lot of people have seen people take what probably was a hobby and made a huge career out of it. So, if, you know, if you look at what's that guy called PewDiePie or whatever he's called, who was like the number one. Yeah. What was he on? Can't we talk which YouTube. YouTuber. Yeah. Out you of know. Pitch. Yeah. So he basically probably was in his room just making videos with his mates for a bit of a laugh and suddenly, you know, was making a lot of money and was very successful lots of brands wanted to send him stuff so he could endorse them free things you know and i think people go god that sounds i could do that i'm great at making tiktok videos and they probably are but it's a bit like trying to be a pop star pop star it's like how many people who are really brilliant and really talented don't get discovered mm -hmm. so i think you know you've got to be really committed really committed um, you know, you've got to make your content really interesting and really sticky. Um, so you need to understand the audiences you're trying to reach. So there was a, you know, there was a whole sort of about 10 years ago, there was a whole mummy blogger thing. Um, because there was obviously just a sort of zeitgeist of people wanting to hear about mums who was having, you know, finding it quite difficult, it was sort of on the back of the mums net thing. Yeah. So there was a real, you've got to sort of look at trends in what people are interested in. You've got to create really high quality content and you don't need flash equipment for that. But it's got to be fresh. It's got to be interesting, um, you know, and don't copy other people because there are too many copycats out there. And you've got to just try and find that thing that you think is going to be interesting. And think about what interests you. You know, what would you like to see? Um, and, and focus on that. And then, you know, if you do become more successful, don't just say yes to everything. You know, there was an article I read in the newspaper this morning saying there's fin finicillas or whatever they're called. Anyway, they're basically influencers who are promoting financial services to young people. 
So, you know, it might be for Monzo Bank or something. Monzo Bank, sure, don't do this. But, you know, whichever. It's probably banks that are probably more digital in nature and they're trying to attract a younger audience. And a lot of these influencers know nothing about these products. They're just being paid to promote them because they've got large followings. Sometimes they don't even, they don't even know how to read their own payslip. But this is it. And they are being asked to promote things by these different organisations. And as a consequence, you know, there is a lot of financial mis-selling going on to people who wouldn't know better because they've never bought financial services because, you know, they're probably quite young and they're probably, it's their first sort of foray into buying financial services. And so they, you know, the Financial Services Authority are putting regulation around it, which I think is a really good idea because it's about protecting people. It's not about stopping people doing it, but it's about making sure that, and in fact, in the article I read this morning, I didn't read it in great detail, so I might, I might be misrepresenting this, but I think there was a girl who was on Love Island a few years ago, and she did this, or she knows some people who've done it, and she was, she was very much saying, beware, be careful, we aren't experts. So, you know, I think it's very easy to think it's, a, it's an extension of you just making TikTok videos in your bedroom, but I think there's a lot more to it than that. I think it's a bit more skilled than that. And I also think there are people who will always take advantage of you. Mm. So be careful about who you trust and make sure they're reputable brands with reputable contracts. Everything's upfront and clear. You know, don't just, you know, if somebody wants to represent you, make sure that they are in a position where they can represent you. It's like me getting up online and telling someone how to uh, become a CEO in comms. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, or me saying ex- how to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> bring, bring an expert in, isn't it? And bring the ones that you can trust. Yeah, and, and just don't leap at everything because if something's too good to be, sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Absolutely. I believe. And also, if you do want to be an influencer or a creator mm. and you want to understand the commercial size and how it all operates the campaign, yeah. come and work. Come and look, come and do an internship, you know, understand the sort of science bit behind it, the, the, the analytics bit, which is understanding which audience you want to reach, understand how to research their behaviours, understand which platforms they use at which points of the day or which points in their life or, you know, and then you've got a much, much sort of more refined strategic approach to what you're doing as opposed to sort of sending it into the ether and hoping for the best. And there will always be people who will just do that and be successful because that's that's just one of those things. But I think it's harder, much harder. And, and, and be willing to adapt because what the algorithm did last week is not what it might do this week. Exactly. And things are moving as, as you know, everybody knows, things you know get updated, upgraded, changed all the time. And different restrictions and regulations are placed on things that people don't necessarily know about. So, you know, you, you need to be careful. Well, our time's nearly at the end. Is it? Our first conversation, anyway. I've got two more, I've got two more questions here. Go on, here. then. What, what's one piece of advice, one piece of good advice that you've been given in your career that's stuck with you, that you just, it's your, it's your same piece of advice that you give anyone? And what's one bit of a bad advice that you was given that you didn't believe? Okay. And then over time, you started to realise it's true. Oh, God, that's a really hard question. First one is easy, which is trust your instincts. You know, and I think, I think because we always think when we start our careers that everybody else knows better, and particularly people who have been doing things for a much longer period of time. And so I think you always doubt that your instincts are right because you go, well, I can't possibly know because I've only been doing this for a year or six months, whereas that person down the corridor has been doing it for seven years, so they must be right. Back yourself. And if you make a mistake, own your mistake, own up to your mistake, and then correct your mistake. But don't ever do that thing where you sit and you just, you're the quiet, not, not that you have to be a loud person to be successful, by the way, but don't be the one in the corner going, I should have spoken up. Because actually your instincts are probably really quite good. I'm now trying to think of some bad advice I got, which is now quite good. Um, I think it's probably around confidence, actually. I think a lot of people said to me, which is not dissimilar from the instinct thing, I suppose, which was, you just got to believe in yourself. And it was like, oh, you know, well, easier said than done, you know, and I just thought, actually, that's really unhelpful. But actually, going back to our earlier conversation, it, it is, but you've just got to do it yourself and don't rely on other people to do it for you. Back yourself and... Um... Yeah, yeah, back yourself. But, you know, you don't have to shout it from the rooftops. You don't have to expect everyone to sort of, you know, worship at, at your altar. But you can tell yourself when you've done a good thing because we all need to acknowledge that in ourselves and I think not enough of that goes on. 
So you're going to tell yourself you've done a good thing because it's been a great interview. Has it? Yes. Oh, well, then you can tell me that. That's perfect. <laughs> there, you go. there you go. And my final, final question. Final, final. Is what's your duvet flip? What gets you out of bed in the morning to flip the duvet? I just, I like being busy. I like dealing with people. You know, I, I don't know. I'm not one of those people who sort of, you know, crawls under the duvet necessarily. I mean, I do it nice, I'm exhausted. But um, I'm quite happy to start the day. I quite, you know, my job is really varied. You know, I'll do everything from the sort of finances of the business to HR, to meeting clients, to doing the creative stuff, to learning about new platforms and things that I still don't know much about, to meeting new people, to doing things like this. You know, I mean, I'm so, so fortunate. And so I just like going, right, what's today got in store? Because every day is different. So that, that's what makes me leap out of bed in the morning. I love that. And on that note, I just want to say thank you for thank your you. kindness, energy and your realism what's that word realist being a realist like just talking as it is thank you I love that so thank you well thank you so much for inviting me um i've really enjoyed it so thank you very much you're welcome good finances can sometimes feel a bit puzzling Maybe it's that confusing car insurance policy. Or working out the right protection for your health, home and family. Or feeling unsure if your pension is on the right path. Aviva can help make these conundrums click. Helping solve your financial puzzles? It takes Aviva. Is what you're doing still doing it for you? I am EY. For a purpose that inspires me. And a culture that accepts. For a team that relies on me and makes me better for it. Knowing I'm always respected for being absolutely me. For my work to have meaning, ideas becoming actions and my direction my own. For leaders that challenge, guide and support, empowering me to be all I can and bring everything I am. My skills accelerated, my voice amplified. For always feeling heard and saying without hesitation, I love what I do. That's why. EY. Mom, I got the job! She got the job! Who got the job? Granny! She got the job! She got the job! She got the job! Find your I got the job job on Total Jobs.